You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Canton and Simiu show on the Chronicles of Aguna YouTube channel and podcast. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simeon. and I'm delighted to be joined by, yep, you guessed it, Tom Canton. How you doing, mate? Welcome uh, back to the channel. How's it all going? Yeah, going good, mate. Going good. I mean, these super chats are buying you a hell of a studio, I have to say. Like, incredible scenes. Incredible it, scenes. It's just a screen. It's just a green cloth. <laughs> it's literally what it is. Just a green cloth, but yeah, <laughs> looks great. <laughs> you know what? I've, I've been messing around with it over the last couple of weeks. I've been trying to get it to look cool, and um, I don't know. Like, I sort of like it, and then I think it looks too fake. And then I'm like, mm. oh no, but it's better than having to tidy up behind you. And it, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I used to have a moving one and it turned out it gave people eye sauce, so I had to take it down. <laughs> like the whole thing behind me would move. And I was like, oh, that looks quite cool. But it turns out if you're watching a show for an hour, yeah, it's not uh it's not ideal. <laughs> so I was yeah. just no harming people in the end. <laughs> no, exactly. It can be uh it can be yeah, it can it can it can hurt your eyes a little bit, I guess. Mm. But if you're anything like me, you get bored of stuff after like a week and then you want to change it and do something else this is why and i, I think, don't have any tattoos at the moment yeah for that too. very reason yeah yeah no completely agree and i think because we stream so often we probably are going to go through our fair share of backgrounds logos mm. artwork you name it yeah we've probably tried it um tom before we get into the the thick of the show just let people know how they can get over to the guna talk the link is in the description but just tell people that maybe haven't i'm sure they have but maybe haven't come across it how they can uh check it out yeah, of course. Um, you can find me at the Goon Talk. Just type in the Goon Talk on YouTube. It will come up. You can find me on Twitter with the handles that you can see on the screen at the Goon Talk TV and at Tom Cantor Media. And you can also find me on the Arsenal Way as well. And there's a great interview with uh, Emmanuel Petit that I did over there as well. If you want to check that out. Yeah, congratulations on that. What what was Thanks he like? Me. What was he like? Yeah, not really sweet. Yeah, really sweet. Uh, nice sound sound guy. Because when I've you know I've heard his interviews before and he's been quite scathing about Arsenal yeah. in the past. And you know a lot of people really appreciate that kind of honesty. But he was. But I think that honesty showed through in the sense that you know he's appreciative of kind of what Arteta is doing at the moment but I was interested that you know he would have given Lacazette a new deal and getting kind of answers as to why that was really interesting so yeah but no it was a really good chat no it's good and it's always good isn't it when you meet someone that like I don't know was you was you post the Emmanuel Petit era I mean, that was kind of when I was growing up. So okay. he left for Barca when I, when you know, as a really young seven-year-old, six, seven-year-old, I was, you know, yeah, he was six when he left for Barca. So it was a case of, you know, only just learning what football was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, because sometimes you meet these people that you kind of held in really high esteem and high regard, mm. your heroes, and they turn out to be a bit of a disappointment in terms of their character. So I always mm. like to hear when people say, yeah, you know what, actually, he was a, he was a top guy. Yeah, so that's uh, that's good to hear. Uh, before we uh, continue into the uh, program and the discussion, I just want to say a big thank you uh, to Joe for your very kind super chat donation, mate. Really, really do appreciate it. Um, as Tom says, I might be able to get a new background now as well. We'll try a different one tomorrow. There you go. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Joe. Really, really do appreciate it. Okay, um, right. Let's get into it. And one of the things I wanted to start off by talking about Tom was. William Saliba's recent comments because we haven't done a show on this channel mm. about this 
And I was of the impression, I have to admit, that William Saliba was definitely 100% coming back to Arsenal this summer and was mm. going to fight for his place in the squad. That's what all the reports have led us to believe over the last few months. However, judging by his words, perhaps it's not that clear cut. Has this quote or, or this interview that he's given, and I'll just pick out one bit uh, from the interview where he says, I think there will be discussions afterwards at the end of May, beginning of June with Arsenal and Marseille. We will decide at the time, but it is sure that continuing here would not be a bad idea. On the contrary, I know the city, my teammates, my coach, but it's not up to me. Does that sound to you like William Saliba is saying, Arsenal, let me join Marseille? I don't, know, I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, I'm, I'm like you. Like all everything that I'd kind of read and, and also kind of you know heard um, from a couple of colleagues was that yeah, the intention is for him to come back. I mean, my colleague Chris Wheatley put a piece out the other. Uh, I think it was a couple of, back in January uh, or February where it detailed that the intention was you know that he would come back and fight for his place. And then recently, he followed that up. Uh, Chris, with a piece about how the intention from Arsenal is to open preliminary talks um, about sorting kind of what's going to happen in the summer. That that doesn't mean contract talks. That means talks as to determine his future with the club, which is strange. I, It's a topic that really bugs me talking about because I feel it's such a, it's such a weapon against Arteta, the Saliba kind of fiasco. Um, and I think it gets twisted really, really easily in the sense that, oh, Arteta doesn't want him, doesn't rate him, doesn't like him, he hates him and all this, which isn't true. He appreciates him as a player. But you recognise that as a 19-year-old kid, you know, he needed time away. He needed regular first-team football. We've invested 27 million quid in this guy. And there was mistakes made. But without a shadow of a doubt, there were mistakes made in 20, uh, in 2020 uh, when we obviously didn't send him out on loan. There was interest from Rennes, apparently, and some reports in France revealed towards the end of the 2020 window, which ended in October, if everyone remembers, weirdly, because uh, mm. of the pandemic, that Rennes came in. And then there was kind of this situation where it was looking like he was going to go to Rennes. And then they went for a Rogani, I think it was, from Juventus. Um, and that really messed the club about. Now, I, as far as I was aware, the issues stemmed from him at Arsenal from the way he reacted to basically being told that he couldn't play the French Cup final. I, I, you know, that's what I heard is that there was issues behind the scenes and the club didn't really react well to the way in which he reacted to that. And as a result, kind of his not route into the first team or, you know, it's just in the kind of the sense that they kind of want to to make him aware that you know you if you're going to be at Arsenal, there is a way in which you you know you act and you behave, and you got to follow you know the the protocols. And especially under Arteta, we know he's very ruthless and has these non negotiables. But they they've always appreciated his comments. And sorry, his uh, his quality, not necessarily his comments, his quality. And I think now, based upon what he said there, I have the impression that he is saying things. Nice about Marseille because he's still there and he wants to fight there and you know get as high as he can. But in the summer, he has Arsenal to return to. He has two years left on his deal. And I, I hope that he's integrated. But, you know, he's got a big challenge. And if he's up for the challenge, great. If he's not up for the challenge, then to be honest, you know, I'd, there's a part of me that thinks, well, maybe we should try and have a centre-back who's up for challenging White and Gabriel rather than, you know wants to leave but yeah I do think it's used as a weapon sometimes to attack Arteta unnecessarily 
completely agree. And the thing that irritates me about it is that half of the people that claim that William Saliba is the answer to our central defensive or, or pre-existing central defensive issues haven't even watched him play at, hmm. at our level. He hasn't hmm. played a single Premier League fixture. So how do you know that he's going to adapt? And the other thing that really irritates me, Tom, is when people go, oh, but look at Wesley Fofana. He came in oh, at Leicester. And, argument so you know, much, he, yeah. he wasn't even as good as Saliba. He wasn't as, mm. as revered as Saliba, but he's come and he's made it and he's great, which mm. means Saliba must be. We know that during that particular period, when Arsenal made a number of signings, that we overpaid for a number of players. Mm. We know that now. You know, Nicolas Pepe uh, falls under that same kind of category in terms of the regime at that time. And, and there's a lot of deals that Arsenal did that you look back on and go, well, these deals, we, we definitely overpaid for certain players. So to look at Saliba and say that actually perhaps he isn't or wasn't worth the £27 million that we paid for him at the time, that's a pretty fair conclusion to come to on that basis. Has he gone to Marseille and done well? I think for the most part he has. He admitted himself, didn't he, Tom, in, in recent mm. months that he hasn't been at his best. But I'm, I'm in this position where if he comes back and he does well, great. Let's have it. You know, we spent £27 million on him. Let's try and maximise what we get out of that particular investment. But if he isn't the answer, if he isn't the guy that Arteta thinks is the right guy, then I've got no problem in seeing him sold to Marseille and Arsenal trying to recuperate as much of that £27 million feedback as possible. Because it, I would be lying if I sat here and said that what I've seen of him convinces mm. me that he's at the level of a white and a Gabriel. I appreciate that we need more than two centre backs. Okay. We're going to, if we're going to yeah. be in Europe next season, the depth is the next kind of thing that we need to add to that particular area of the pitch. But I'm still on the fence about whether Saliba is that guy or not. So on that basis, it's impossible for me to be outraged at the idea of him leaving um, and to be so adamant that he needs to come back. I, I can't make that conclusion. Um, Moss said in the chat um, that I don't rate Lee Gunn um, because of our kind of long-standing back and forth about Jonathan David and some of the comments I've made about <laughs> oh, you're still, you two yeah, still it's still going, it's still going <laughs> every day, still going. But at the end of the day, the, the level in Lee Gunn in comparison to the Premier League is very, very different. Like, there's no getting away from that. And I always use this example because when we were talking about Emi Buendia, um, you know, last summer, I kept me. saying, <laughs> I kept saying that I'm not sure that what we're seeing from him in the championship is transferable to the Premier League in terms of the outputs and in terms of him being that consistent every single mm. week. And I have that reservation over a lot of players. Saliba's young and he could develop and he could get better, of course. But I don't know that he's the answer, I guess, is where I'm coming from. That's a fair stance to have, is it not? Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, White and Gabriel have been categorically better than Saliba this season. From someone who has watched plenty of him, from someone who does a monthly update on him every single month on our channel, uh, with a Marseille fan who watches him every single week, I can tell you that they have both been better. And when I say that, immediately my fear is people misconstrue that as saying, oh, you're slagging off Saliba. Like, uh, no, I'm not. Saliba, despite not being as good as White and Gabriel this season, has probably still been the best centre-half in Liga this year, which, yeah. if anything, supports your argument that you just raised a second ago. 
He has such great progression of the ball, such good confidence when in possession, loves progressing the play, really solid vision from the back. But he is still raw in his defensive side. Um, and whilst Wyatt, yes, has made a couple of mistakes, and you know there aren't many centre-backs out there that don't make a couple of mistakes throughout the season, Wyatt has been far more consistent defensively, as has Gabriel, who also had a couple of mistakes this season too. But, but Saliba really needs to still develop a lot of that defensive part of his game. And you know, also, he's been playing... Uh, a lot of the season, not all of it, but a lot of the season in a back three. Uh, and obviously you're going to get extra protection from that sense, whereas White and Gabriel playing in the two. He's now playing in a back four uh, since Sam Pauli's kind of changed things. But at the same time, I, 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 that's fine. He's 21. He turned 21 today. It's his birthday today, I think, actually. Happy um, birthday, William. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, he's, tw- he's just turned 21 and he's a centre-back. And take Fafana out the equation. Name a Premier League club that are starting a 20-year-old centre-back week in, week out. There aren't, I'm, I struggle to think of, I'm sure there may be one or two, but off the top of my head, and that tells me, you know, they're not exactly pulling up trees. I'm struggling to to think of one. And it's arguably the most important position on a pitch at that certain age where you need more experience, you need regular game time to develop. So, no, it's you're absolutely fair in what you've said there and uh, he is behind Gabriel and White and, and rightly so but hopefully we'll come back next season and, and compete uh, for that place yeah and I, and I want to be clear I'm not saying like get him out of the club I don't want him anymore. no but people will think that you have yeah, said exactly that. the point is that if you're asking me to kind of bet my mortgage on whether Saliba is the answer or not I can't do it because I'm not sure because I don't know that what he's doing in France is going to co- amount to the same kind of level in the Premier League. That's my mm. my issue, my concern, my worry. The other thing, because we've been really focused on his talent and what he brings in terms of his ability to the table, but we know that Mikel Arteta is, is big on character, is big on yeah. attitude. Mm. Have you seen things from Saliba over the last couple of seasons, albeit that we've treated him badly? Because we have, you know. Let's yeah, be yeah, yeah. But have you seen things that suggest that he and Mikel Arteta's relationship, which is already, let's call it strained, (laughs) is going to be able to go back to what it should be to then breed a successful partnership? Yeah, this season I have. Um, This season he's been a lot more mature. Uh, He's been a lot more self-reflective. And I think we saw that with his quotes recently about saying how he thinks he's been average since the turn of the, the year. Um, so yeah, there are, there are definitely, and I think his comments, even about talking about Marseille, they're quite, um, they're quite well media trained actually in comparison to some of the previous comments that he said about, you know, being away from the club. He also, the quotes that didn't get brought up as well and weren't highlighted was that he was asked a question about had Arsenal messaged him, um, regarding his call up and he said yes. And you know, that it felt nice that people had sent him these kind messages from Arsenal. So that's positive, but that doesn't get, that doesn't get the the latch of the story. So you don't hear those comments as much as you do the the ones about how he wants to, you know, I'll be open to, to be at Marseille. And to be honest, even if he was, who's to say that him saying that I, you know, being at Marseille next year, wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing is him thinking, well, at Arsenal, I'm not going to play every week and, you know, I'm still 21. And if I had another year, maybe you do what we do with Reese Nelson, you extend his contract, you know, by another three years or whatever. And then you send him out on loan to get another full season. And then you bring him back two seasons, fully playing for Marseille in the Champions League. And you've got an even better um, kind of, you know, preparation on your investment. Maybe it's that we don't know. We're all interpreting this very differently, but 
I'd still like to be confident that there is a future for Saliba at Arsenal and, and that he can come back and convince Arteta that he's still the right man for this job. Yeah, and as I say, mate, fingers crossed he can. Um, mm. I just... I'm, I'm, the reason I wanted to talk about this today was because, as we said it right at the start, initially, I was in two minds. I didn't know whether Saliba was going to come back. I didn't know if uh, that was a, a relationship that could be mended, given everything that had gone on. And mm. given that Mikel Arteta had, had made it quite clear that he wasn't his man, he, he wasn't sure about him, he wasn't sure if he was ready. And so, you know, does that snub impact their relationship to the point where it can't be repaired? That was my initial concern. Then we started getting, as we said, all these reports and suggestions that actually he was happy to come back. Arsenal mm. were happy to have him back. And it was just a given that he'd be returning in the summer. And now these comments cast doubt over that. But I think you're right. We do have to consider that he's not going to sit and say that I don't want to be at Marseille when he's currently there. And Marseille, Tom, you know, people outside of France maybe don't always appreciate it. But they're a huge, huge football club. They're a massive yeah. football club. They're a bigger football club than Paris Saint-Germain. They mm. don't have the, the players and the squad and the riches. Ooh, got but they there. are, a, yeah, they're a much bigger club. They're a much bigger club. Um, and, and that obviously carries weight. So if you're a young lad that grows up in France, you will see Marseille as being, okay, not the pinnacle of European football, but you'll see it as far as French clubs go as being right at the very top. So I think um, I think we have to consider that as well. I wanted to chat to you about a couple of other bits today as well. And then we're going to take some questions uh, from the live chat box. So if you've got questions, hold fire on them because they'll just get lost in the chat and we'll pick them up a little bit later on. But you must have seen this, Tom, that clip going <laughs> exactly around what you're talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. from ESPNFC talking about Bakayo Saka. It was Steve Nichol. I, I, I always forget the name of the guy that was next to him who was... I don't know who he was. Act, he's an he's an ex-footballer. I think he might be a Mexican footballer. I will double check that. But he was talking like he was in a Hollywood movie, like some of the phrases, like your mum and your daddy ain't going to be their boy or whatever he was saying. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Basically, what yeah. I wanted to talk to you about was, that's it, Moreno, Alejandro Moreno. That's it. Thank you. Venezuelan. Venezuelan, um, that's it. That's what Moss says, yeah. What I wanted to to pick your brains about is, how is this level of punditry still being accepted by the wider public? Because that's the classic dinosaur punditry for me. You know, it is Steve Nichol, for example, right? Okay, yeah. Played it in a different generation. Right? Football was different. Yeah. The attitude was different. The mindset was different. He's saying that Bukayo Saka shouldn't be going into challenges, shouldn't be putting himself in a position where he can get kicked. Yeah. You can bet that had Bukayo Saka pulled out of those challenges, Steve Nichol would have been the first guy to say he just doesn't fancy it. His attitude's yeah. not right. You know, he hasn't turned up today. What on earth is going on? Like, what kind of level of punditry are we being subjected to? Yeah, I mean, just while you're talking there, I'm trying to find um, someone replied to Arsblog's tweet about this. I think it might have been Clive um, that did. And he basically highlighted about, uh, apologies if it isn't Clive that said this, but I think he raised the point about how this is why we've seen such a rise in fan-associated forums. It was Clive, I saw it that It was too. Clive, yeah. And it's because fans, despite you having the extreme ends of the spectrum and some abusive things or some overly protective side, um, you have this fan culture that has grown into so many YouTube channels because they're, you know, us, and I say us uh, without blowing too much smoke up my ass, but 
I, I genuinely would say that I could sit on that ESPN panel and give a better answer to the question, a more legitimate answer than what Steve Nichol uh, and Moreno both said during that moment. Because frankly, it is embarrassing that two ex-players cannot look at the challenge and cannot look at, say, the injuries that players are facing and not recognise that Tyrone Mings in that moment won the ball, but he was fortunate the to win the ball because he was out of control in that moment. It yeah. was like it was a 50-50 in which he dived in out of control and, and luckily for him won the ball. Um, I don't know how to answer your question in regards to, you know, how are these people kind of getting on there? How are they sticking with them? How is the media in certain broadcasters sticking with these people? And the ultimate is because, you know, because they've played the game. And um, I think BT Sport, He's one of the few I've seen to get more journalists on, say like Andy Brassel and James yeah. Horncastle, Julian Laurent. And, you know, despite never playing the game, to, to suggest that someone who's never played the game can't have a good opinion about it is ridiculous in itself. And I think you see that evidence just by that video that people who have played the game still, you know, aren't producing solid opinions and legitimate ones. So, and obviously you appear on, on Sky Sports and Sky Sports are doing a lot more as well to kind of promote more content creators and fan opinion based things and more journalistic based things too, which is always positive to see. So I think there is a shift and I think that videos like that kind of highlight why some broadcasters are certainly getting more non-ex player kind of opinions on football into the into the wider kind of broadcasting scene yeah yeah c completely agree and and you, you're right to highlight bt sport i mean i don't know if you've ever watched it or if you've you know decided to go with that option but on a champions league night mm. on bt sport the goal show brilliant in which they jump around absolutely it's brilliant, brilliant because you've got brilliant journalists there yeah who are giving you insight into the situation who are giving you some in-depth stuff rather than having a guy who is an ex-player, and yes, we should respect them for that, but has no understanding, no knowledge, no pre-existing mm. knowledge other than a bit of research that they've probably done in the lead-up to that game of the context in which they're speaking. And it, it drives me crazy. And you're right. It has sparked the whole kind of YouTube revolution, the podcast revolution. Everybody, um, you know, that I know that follows football listens to some sort of non-mainstream media. It is really, really heading that way. Mm. And people like that, Steve Nichol, who might be fair most of the time, but he's undone all his fairness by talking absolute nonsense, uh, in my opinion, on that occasion. But it's just, yeah, that kind of stuff. It drives me insane. Um, somebody said in the chat that they do it for clicks and it works because we're talking about it. And I get that mm. as well. But I just think as a mainstream broadcaster, yeah, you, you need to have more credibility. Yeah. You know, me or you could go on here on here on your channel and have a wild opinion. And and OK, you know, it, it might be our opinion. Some people might see it as wild. But I just think as a mainstream broadcaster, you've got much more responsibility to make sure that what you're doing yeah. is is proper. I think that also um, something that and I know a lot of people and, and I know yourself, you you you. Uh, go on TalkSport and I've you know worked on TalkSport in the past as well and there is a lot of criticism about you know some of the things that say Jamie O'Hara says mm. but what I will give props towards TalkSport is allowing say um, the <laughs> the Gabby Bon Lahore uh, comments to be utterly destroyed by Laura like utterly ruined um, and I think that in that moment it's that self-criticism that sometimes would be 
in the past frowned upon like you wouldn't be allowed to say disagree with another broadcaster or you know you'd be it wouldn't be encouraged um so that kind of you know self criticism and you know even in-house criticism as well is something that does need to be promoted a lot more too and the opportunity to kind of you know let's judge our own colleagues and what they've said and let's go back and forth about that because you can't protect everyone so yeah yeah absolutely and and that should be allowed disagreement should be allowed as you say like nothing that laura wood said about mm. gabby agbonhor in that sort of situation was, yeah. yeah it was brilliant she she shut his point down she highlighted him, him being a hypocrite in that particular sense mm. but didn't personally attack him wasn't rude to him and it just shows that you can do that um that you can disagree respectfully and make good debate and, and good discussion but there is I don't know. I, I think the click thing is is what drives all of this, right? At the end of the day, it's it's the way business works. You work in in the industry. You know that for a website to be successful, it needs a certain amount of clicks, and and so you will get clickbait titles, and you will get sort of clips cut down to kind of seem much more controversial uh, than they actually are, just because you've cut out some of the the content. Look at you. Look at our you, like you and me the thumbnails that we put out the headlines yeah. you know like you have to generate an element of intrigue um mm. otherwise you know it's you if you don't if you aren't if you aren't in the game if you know what i mean then you are then you will fall behind and if you want to put out opinions like we are now that we feel you know i've got a, a real level of legitimacy if you put you know if you lay out everything and you don't offer up kind of you know that teaser people aren't going to be able to tune in to listen to what you would consider an opinion that is a lot more valid, you know. So it's it's a real catch twenty two, but you do have to understand to play the game sometimes. Yeah, and I've got no issue with that. What I've got an issue with is people overreacting to what is clearly yeah. something out of context and not actually going away and having a look at what was said and what was actually discussed before going OTT in their view of mm. it. That's that's what we as consumers need to get better at, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think also misrepresentation, like when people talk about clickbait, um, I think there is a stronger definition. I think it maybe is used too broadly. For me, clickbait is when a headline says one thing and what is written or, you know, what is produced in the video is utterly not that thing. That that I think that's different. Um, so I think it's about there's a difference between creating an enticing headline or an enticing thumbnail or an enticing video title. And what would be a clickbait video title or clickbait thumbnail, which is, you know, a complete misrepresentation of what's being yeah. discussed. I mean, I did. Um, you, did you see the the tweet the other week about Gabriel Magalhaes being a doubt because you know his his other half is nine months along, and so he wasn't pictured in training. I think it was Tiki Taka Connor that tweeted it. Um, if you follow him or block him, I don't know, but I know he divides opinion. Um, and so in my daily updates on the 8 a.m., I put, you know, Gabrielle Doubt was, the, I think, the headline. And I know a, lot, a couple of people in the comments said, that's clickbait. And I I don't think it is because I'm discussing the news based upon a story that has claimed that Gabrielle is a doubt for the game. And he yeah. played against Liverpool. And, you know, at the same time, it's for me to then, and in that show, I said, I'm not sure how legitimate this is going to be or whether or not he's going to play, but it's, you know, it's, it's a really difficult and sensitive topic because people hate it, but it is, you know, it's the only way in which that you can genuinely uh, entice people into to something to then put forth your valid or what you feel to be valid and legitimate point of view about something is, but it's a, it's a balancing act. 
Yeah, for sure. Have you ever been on the receiving end of somebody clipping up something you said? And Oh, yeah. <laughs> Loads of times. There was, and with no context, yeah. Yeah. There was there was one that I always remember. It was um it was after I think I think it was just after Unai Emery got sacked. Mm. And um and sort of listen, you know I wasn't Unai Emery's biggest fan. Um I thought that Arsene Wenger needed to go as well when he actually went prior to when he actually went, but I wasn't sitting there, you know, being abusive to either of them. But I remember this this time I went on TalkSport and I said something along the lines of, and I can't remember, I'm paraphrasing mm. now, but something along the lines of, if Arsenal fans are going to treat, you know, members of their club with that lack of respect, and the question I was asked was, what do I think about abuse? Then they don't deserve success. Like the people that do that don't deserve to enjoy success. And literally it got cut up. Arsenal fans don't deserve success. And that was literally it. The question wasn't in there. None of the context was in there. And I mm. got battered for it. And you see that for me, as you say, that falls into that bit in between the cracks, doesn't it? Where mm -hmm. actually they're not lying. I did quote, I, they did quote me and I did say those words, but the yeah. context was missing. And it's yeah. a hard balance to find. The I don't know if you saw what happened to me uh, with the Sun and the Daily Mail. They took a piece I wrote about Nicholas Pepe, and I knew, I've only just remembered because Hant Yummy in the chat box has just brought it up, and that kind of shows you that you know it's uh, <laughs> how it was. But the the piece was a panel between me and Bailey, uh, who does the you know the Arsenal way, and is a colleague of mine, where we debated if we sell uh, Pepe or not. And so the headline was something along the lines of Arsenal told to sell Pepe. And, you know, it was, it was a longer form, but in, you know, shortened, it was something like that. And um, the Sun and the and the Daily Mail ran pieces in which they said, according to Football Lot London, you know, Arsenal are open to selling Nicolas Pepe. And I was like, I've not said that. Like, that's, that's not what we did at all. Like, and it was a case of why are you misrepresenting what I've said? It was, we are the ones telling Arsenal to sell and the whole point of it was and it says in big you know bold letters this is an opinion piece yeah. at the top and it just gets you know things get very quickly twisted and it's oh yeah it was frustrating but as everyone can laugh about in the chat box it got, it was quite a big thing like in the december time last year and then i did another piece about pepe in the same kind of time frame which is maybe a bit naive of me to be fair um which was what dejan kulisevsky was being linked to us yeah and it was a case of Arsenal, you know, I've got Bukayo Saka, we've got Nicolas Pepe. If we're being linked with Dejan Kulisevsky and we're being linked with Noah Lang and we're being linked with these wide players, you know, that's a little bit of an indication that, you know, Arsenal could be prepping ahead to the future of maybe, you know, replacing Pepe who's not playing. And, you know, there was also other reports from my colleague Chris Wheatley that Pepe was looking, um, was kind of considering himself in January, depending on what would happen in his future. And I mean, I'm happy to link people to the article if, if you want it. Um, and... So I did the piece basically like I think it was something like Nicolas Pepe moving closer to the exit, uh, Ars moving closer to Arsenal exit after latest whatever links. Um, and the piece was around how all of these links, uh, a suggestion about all of these links to wide players are an indication uh, of, you know, clearly maybe there is something going on with uh, Nicolas Pepe's future. So, and again, that got picked up and used and misconstrued and twisted. And it's, you know, it's, it's just the way it goes. It's just part of the game. I understand that. But at the time, as someone who's only just really newly broken into the scene from, from doing YouTube, it was a case of, 
uh, this, I didn't like it. Like it was horrible. Like, and you have to learn to you just don't move on from those things, and, that, and you know, learn that's going to happen, and there's nothing you can really do about it. Yeah, and th- there's this instinct in you, isn't there? Because I, I have this mm. where you just want to like, you might get fifty tweets about it, and you you just want to sit there and reply to every single one and be like, no, it's not what I mm. said. This is what. But you get sucked into that. You you almost get consumed by this world of people on Twitter who actually even if that you prove them wrong would never have it and, and no. have nothing better to do than to try and tear you down. And you have to learn, I think in this business. And I get messages quite a bit from, from some of our listeners, uh, some of our viewers who say, I want to start a YouTube channel, any advice, or um, yeah. I want to yeah. break into the football media world, any advice. And the one bit of advice, and, and I'll ask you for one as well, mm. you know, if it's not the same, the one bit of advice I would say is, don't get sucked in like and i still do it i, I still don't always take yeah, it's really hard, don't it happened to me today someone was tweeting me nonsense today and i ended mm-hmm. up arguing back yeah but it, it's it's don't get sucked in and don't let it consume you because if you do you'll drive yourself crazy yeah i i mean i always say to people the analogy uh and i was teaching uh and it was really at the start of my time teaching and i went to observe this other teacher and he was doing this social experiment with the class where he put up he, he wrote five different sums mathematical easy mathematical sums on the board and he did four right ones and one wrong one and you know he was writing them all out and he just stood by the board and it took about oh, probably about five six seconds before one of the children put their hands up and was like so you've made a mistake and he turned right, turned around and said, okay, that's fair enough. I've made a mistake. But the thing is, is that I've done four right things here and you've picked up on the one wrong thing that I've done. So instead of praising me for the four good things, you've picked out the one bad thing uh, yeah. for criticism. And I think that that is certainly something that I, I'm not over. I definitely get sucked in all the time. If I read through my comment section, I'm much more likely to reply to a comment that says, um, this is shit, you know? Like you don't know what you're talking about. This is awful. Um, then I am to reply to a comment that says, great show, Tom, <laughs> really great show. And most of the comments are like that. And I drop a heart on them um, and stuff. But yeah, it's really frustrating. And, you know, you've got to learn to get on it. That's why I have kind of my real ruthless block policy on TGT. Because <laughs> I know if I didn't have that, I'd get sucked into, like people try and call me out all the time and stuff. But it's, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it's it's part of the territory, I guess. That was actually a decent little conversation, given it's the international Mm. break and football is uh, very difficult to come by. Um, Did you watch the Women's Champions League game? I only caught the highlights of it last night. uh, It was an evening with the missus last night. (laughs) You've got to get them in during the break, haven't you? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, you've got to get them in. But yeah, I watched the highlights. Amazing to get it in the 89th minute and, you know... It's just annoying that Mead's going to be uh, suspended for the next game because that's that's such a huge loss. Like you know, when we lost Leah in the um, yeah in the, for the Chelsea game because she was injured in mm-hmm. the cup final, and you saw how much of a difference that made. Um, with Mead out, it's going to be a similar thing, I fear, and I'm just worried. But I mean, you know, it's it's still very winnable. We, we can still beat them. We know that we can get play them at their own game. So fingers crossed, we can get a result there. Yeah, indeed. Fingers crossed. And I was just going to say, you said you had a night with the missus last night. I was supposed to have one tonight. Or she thinks we're having one, but what she doesn't know is we're watching the World Cup playoffs. (laughs) Um, So what you do is you order the takeaway. So you make it seem like it's an evening. Then you go, 
I'm just going to check the score, flick over to the channel, mm -hmm. and then never change it back. Yep. That's the way to go. It's a great tactic. That's the way to go. Uh, a couple of other bits and pieces. Uh, start getting your questions in because we're going to come to those in a couple of minutes. Uh, did you read today that Mesut Ozil has been excluded mm. from the Fenerbahce squad? Yeah, I just wrote about it. Yeah. Am I surprised? <laughs> That's the question. Am I? No, the honest answer is no. I'm not surprised. But, um, I mean... <sighs> You know, I wrote a piece today just basically saying, you know, it's just further vindication that we were, you know, that we've made the right choice in moving on. And we have. So we can go into all of the deeper stuff, but we have made the right choice and we're better for it. No matter, you know, I have Ozil things blocked on Twitter <laughs> for very obvious reasons. So, you know, uh, it's, yeah, because it's a, there's a cult following. And, you know, if you say anything too bad, they're going to come for you. So, you know, you got to be careful. Yep, indeed. Indeed. Okay, let's get some of your questions then from the live chat box. Get as many in as you possibly can, and we'll pick up as many as we possibly can in the next 10 minutes or so. Don't forget to hit the like button if you haven't done so already. Uh, we've got 60 likes on the board so far, so join the 60 who have already hit the like button. Get involved. It really, really does help. Make sure you subscribe to the channel if you're new as well as we're crawling towards... 20,000 hopefully get yeah, yeah. there sooner rather than later uh, so that helps and make sure that you head over to the Guna Talk TV as well give Tom a follow on Twitter the uh, account names are on the screen for you there uh, so make sure you check them out check out the Arsenal way as well okay let's get some questions let's <laughs> Frank Anderson Harry you'll soon start sleeping on the couch yeah you know what I think I'm heading that way mate you said coach um, I didn't know you and Arteta yeah, were that close <laughs> I, I, I got what he meant I got what he meant <laughs> uh okay what else have we got um Harvey says what World Cup qualifiers game will you watch if any Tom will you be watching one tonight oh well, Sweden clearly um, yeah. because I feel Gotta like be. Harvey may come for me if I don't. Gotta be. <laughs> um, no, Portugal tonight, uh, I'm interested in in that, mainly because uh, I'm, I, I don't know if you've had this, but I've had so many people message me telling me to watch Vitinha uh, at Porto. Mm. Since he left, uh, since Wolves decided they didn't want to trigger his release clause, so many people have been saying that he's been ripping it up. And I watched a few clips today ahead of a piece, and I, they're right. Like he's absolutely he's mad. Like it's insane. I didn't realize how good this kid was. Um, two player of the month awards, and he's been called up to replace Ruben Neves in the Portuguese side tonight. And what's also mad is it's either well, you imagine what Portugal will progress past Turkey and Italy will pro uh, progress past North Macedonia, but one of those two aren't going to be at the World Cup. And so that's going to be interesting. Just a quick one, uh, just broken now. I uh, just got a notification on my phone. Bukayo Saka's pulled out of the England squad with COVID. Um, <sighs> do you reckon he caught it when he went into the crowd at Villa Park? Oh, because I was moaning about that in, in my post. Yeah, you're podcast. right to moan about it, to be honest, because, you know, it's we say that like, you know, in the UK, if you live in the UK and I, I can only speak for myself, but ever since kind of the, the restrictions have dropped, it feels like everyone has almost moved on as if it doesn't still exist. Um, and knowing that, you know, you can catch it. And thankfully, it's it should now be an amount of time that he should still be available for Palace because Palace isn't until Monday. Mm. So he should, hopefully he'll still be okay. Um, but yeah, it, it is a bit naive um, to jump into the crowd, for sure. Especially when, you know, you can be positive and you don't have to isolate anymore in the UK as, as, as a law. So there is no law. It doesn't do exist. Want, yeah. It's gone. Mm. Ever since the war started, COVID has, has disappeared. Yeah, no, it's, it's strange it. how quiet it's been since yeah. the... Yeah, that specific war. Yeah, 
came from. Crazy. And um, yeah, that, that whole thing of going in the crowd, I, I was moaning about it on the post-match podcast. I was like, I was just sitting there thinking, please don't catch COVID. And I had a couple of comments the day after. Stop being so miserable. Stop it. What are you putting a downer on the victory for? No, look, he's got COVID. He's got bloody COVID. Not that I know where he got it from, to be sure. But... Well, Smithrow had it recently, didn't he? Um, so I don't know if it's a delayed... Yeah, That was maybe. pretty recent, so maybe. Maybe. Uh, Delisu says, I'll laugh if your missus is watching the pod, Harry. I can tell you she is not. She has got zero <laughs> interest. Um, what else have we got in the chat box? Uh, there's been a few good ones. But I hate it when it updates too quickly. Um, yeah. Scrolling back and you're trying to see what you, you should star them. You know, you can yeah. star them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I should. I should. Um, and I, I keep saying I'm going to do it and then I don't do it and then I'll regret it afterwards. That was like me with polls on YouTube and eventually I started doing it. But yeah. <laughs> I do love a poll. I didn't do one today. Slacking. Um, What's your thoughts on the striker situation? I'm not going to take this specific question, but there's a few comments with regards to uh, the striker situation and the ongoing, you know, discussions mm. and the scouting. We were told yesterday, or we heard yesterday from a report that there's a six-man shortlist of um, of Darwin Nunez, of Alexander Isak, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who we Jonathan, David. Jonathan David. Um, uh, Schick? Is Schick on it? No, I don't think... He, uh, hold on. I've got it written down here. Here we go. Alexander Risak, Armando Brogia. Ah, yes. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, David and Ossiman. Mm. Who would you have out of those? Out of those? Yeah. Darwin <sighs> Nunez. So Darwin Nunez, Alexander yeah. Risak, yeah. Um, Victor Ossiman, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Armando Brogia, and did I say Isak? Yeah, I think so. Uh, no, I don't think you did. Um I would well, I have two uh, for starters because I think we need two forwards. Uh, so I would go for Nunez, uh, who I think is a joke of a footballer. I think it's mad what he's doing at the moment. From you know, I've watched a, a fair bit more of him in the last week, and it's he's quite a special talent. And Jonathan David would be the other one. Sorry. <laughs> so Moss, I'm on your side, mate. <laughs> I'm, I'm not against Jonathan David if we have another option as well. What yeah. I am against is going and blowing all of our striker budget on Jonathan David and not doing anything else. Mm. That's yeah. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. It can't just be David. Yeah. I agree yeah. with you. Cool. Uh, let's, what about uh, you? Who would you pick of the two? I think I'm leaning towards Nunez at the moment because yeah. I think some of the other names that we've mentioned, I like them as well, but I think the price tax. So for example, Victor Ossiman, mm. Aurelio De Laurentiis at Napoli is a madman. <laughs> for you to get a striker of that age and of that Quality. talent yeah. from him, you're going to need 100 million plus. There's no doubt really? about it. I saw and, a thing the other week, a Football Italia reported that he'd be open to letting him go for 70 million euros because, because of the ongoing investigation into their big transfers. And he's one of them. So they, uh, there was like a, an article that basically alleged that if they move him off, it would release some of the pressure, if you know what I mean, on them. Yeah, potentially. There is a lot of that flying around at the moment. I just mm. I look at De Laurentiis' history and I look at some of the players that he's really dug his heels in with, people like Koulibaly, mm. where he's been really adamant that this is my price and I'm not taking anything less. Yeah, And I think that given the pandemic, given the financial situation that Napoli find themselves in as well, as well as a lot of clubs in Europe, I would be surprised if he was to kind of let him go on what he thinks. And I know what he thinks and what everybody else thinks aren't always the same, but mm. what he thinks would be the cheap. I, I don't know. 
I'm not sure about that. And Alexander Isak, that release clause is massive, isn't it? And yeah, and yeah, I've really gone off him, to be honest. Really, really have. Yeah, not four goals this season. You can't pay him 74 million quid yeah. for that. Yeah, I, I think he's got other good sort of attributes. I, I like his build-up yeah. play, but yeah, you're right. If he's not putting the ball in the back of the net, then you might as well keep Alexander well, Lacazette. What do you think of Marcus Rashford? Oh, no, no. Not for me. Um, I've always thought that Marcus Rashford was a bit overhyped and a bit overrated, really? I'll be honest. I think he's one of those players that... How can I... Dis if I wanted to compare him to an Arsenal player, I'd compare him to Theo Walcott. Really? Because I think he, when he gets into a position... Yeah. And instinct <laughs> kicks in and he doesn't have time and he doesn't have, um, you know, a moment to process what's going on. I think instinctively he can be quite good. Obviously mm. very quick, um, a lot stronger than Theo Walcott was and a lot taller as well. Um, so he's much more powerful. But I just, I, mm. I don't think his game's got that level of sophistication that we need yeah. our centre forward to have because it is all about link up. Yeah, the reason why I bring it up is because it's been a discussion that I've had with yeah a number of colleagues. I'm still on the no, uh, I think, right now. I'm still leaning towards no. But there's been some really good arguments leveled about Rashford, about kind of, you know, how he's been really poorly coached in the last four years. And still, if you look at kind of the, the goal contributions since he was 20 to 23, they're insane. I mean, people in the chat box here are putting Welbeck part two. I think that's a ridiculous criticism, to be honest, because he's far, far well ahead of him. It's, he's got over 100 goal contributions in three seasons uh, from tw from the ages of 20 to 23. That, that's mad. He had, I mean, in the Premier League in the last three years, he had 10, 11, 11 Premier League non-penalty goals. And to do that from a wide left position, you know, I, I, I think for an awful team like Man United, I really think that it, it wouldn't be as bad as people make out. But I think that there are better options. Um, Cody Gakpo, for instance, is my number one wide forward pick. And I yeah, would love yeah. to see him coming. So, yeah. But I just thought I'd ask the question. <laughs> yeah, it's a good question. And it's one that's been discussed a lot, as you said. And his future looks uncertain at the moment. So, could be an opportunity to steal in if Arsenal identify him as, as the right man. Uh, mm. Lovely Lion says, Harry, why do you keep saying we are where we are because United and Tottenham are crap? If we make fourth, we will need the same amount of points. We usually... I don't ever... When have you ever said that? that? No. I, I, in fact, I did a show yesterday with Mike and I literally said that... I you just pulled Mike. No, no, no. Uh, oh, Mike Stavry from the Metro. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I said that it, we were talking about how much of the of where we are is attributed to Arsenal's development and to where everybody else is. And I'm pretty sure I said that Arsenal's improvement is 70% of the reason why they are where they are now. And the 30% was that little difference maker. Mm. I've, not, I've not said that. Um, so I apologise if you've mistook what I've said, but I don't know where you got that from. Lots of people, they don't want Rashford. Peeny Ween wants Rashford, though. Well, Peeny Ween. <laughs> Peeny Ween is the guy. Peeny Ween, while we're both here, mm. you've been uh, you've been posing as me in Tom Canton's chat. What's going yeah, on? I think he changed his name to Larry Simeon. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Oh, Unbelievable. dear. Um, That's Had, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Uh, Walhad says, I've watched a lot of Benfica. And Nunez isn't the striker we need. His first touch is horrible and he's got no hold-up game. Would you, How would you respond to that, Tom? Oh, no hold-up game? I think that's, I think that's harsh. Um, 
I think that a lot of the time people look at a couple of clips. They don't necessarily. I'm not saying this person has, by the way. But you know, I think I was talking about this on this morning show um, about how people just judge based upon gold tallies or leagues or you know where they come from, and and it's naive. I I can't ultimately convince someone that a player is the right player. I can tell you that I either disagree with their statements. You know, that I think he's a really solid finisher. He's going to add aerial threat to our game. I think he does have good hold up play. Um, but I, I can only tell people to go and watch the player more and then come back after they've watched, you know, say a fair few games. Um, as I said this morning, I'm really fortunate to have something like Y Scout where I can, you know, watch whatever. But yeah, it's, yeah, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I, I can't convince someone otherwise. You know, I can only question someone into a place where they change their mind. I can't convince someone to change their mind. So, yeah. I, I've got to apologize to Lovely Lion because he's urged me to read the question again. He said when he said we, he meant the fan base, but he oh, did okay. put Harry at the start, which is why I thought you were talking about me. Uh, so I He's do very apologize. upset about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. The caps, the caps have come out and everything. I do apologize. Um, what about this one, Tom? Uh, just before we uh, wrap up, because uh, there's a lot of speculation at the moment about Eric Ten Hag, who is mm. being heavily, heavily linked with the Manchester United job now. Yeah. How do you think he'd fare in the Premier League? Because I look at Ten Hag and I like him. I think he's a manager who's got a clear playing style. He's working the Ajax way and that works with the structure of the club and, and everything just seems to fit into place. Eric Ten Hag at Manchester United, though, feels like to get the best out of Ten Hag, Manchester United are going to have to really reinvent the wheel behind the scenes mm. so do you think he's a good fit for a club like united no <laughs> he's he's i it's so funny and this is the thing is that what i just talked about um with like the strikers and you know i'd say go and watch i'm also guilty of this and you know i when there was kind of talk about you know who should replace Mikel arteta who would you have if you were to replace him i kept going oh you know tenar seems all right but then I didn't really know too much about him. And I was going all off. And I'm a giant hypocrite, I know. I was going off all of kind of, you know, the reputation and, you know, things you hear. But actually, when I was speaking to people like Drew Thompson, who you should, everyone should be following on Twitter, at Logic Lara, um, or FM Lara, I think it is now. Um, it changes it like the wind. <laughs> but uh, he's, a, he's a good follow. And uh, he knows his stuff about Eredivisie football. And he thinks it's an absolute mental decision because they're just not set up. And the thing about Ten Hag is that he's set up at Ajax in a situation where Ajax dominate and have dominated for the last couple of years, last two, three years, uh, near a Divisi. And it's a, he's had, like, when he when people talk about all his credentials come from that Champions League run, he was so fortunate to have a golden generation uh, of Ajax players with Van der Beek and De Ligt and uh, De Jong and, you know, when players come through with Hakim Ziyech also there and stuff and you have David Neres and Tadic was on a different level at that time at playing out of his skin and stuff. And I just think that you consider what he's going to have when he goes to United and he's going to have to rely solely on his ability to coach. It's not he's not going to have the talent coming through in the same way. He's never had to go into the market to look for specific players to join. I mean, you, they brought in, you know, Sebastian Haller, but I mean, you you look at Haller, he bossed it in the Bundesliga. There was always a good chance that he was going to go to Dira Divisi and boss it as well in a team where he's kind of the full focus. West Ham didn't necessarily work. So he's going to have to come to Man United and coach and I'm just not sure as we've seen with Ralph Ranić that that's necessarily going to, you know, fit and if anything, it's a good kind of argument to see how good Arteta has done since he's taken over as well. So, yeah, uh, I'm not a backer of it anymore. And I wouldn't be a backer of it right now without further experience elsewhere. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think 
I don't know. I don't know that I can say it's definitely going to not work or it's definitely a car crash or a disaster waiting to happen. But I don't think it's as a sure thing like some mm. Man United fans are making it out to be at the moment. And um, it's interesting because it, it feels like with the Man United fan base at the moment, who they want is based on who they think they're going to get as opposed to, you know, like last yeah. a few months ago, everybody wanted Pochettino. And now I hope they don't get Pochettino. I hope they don't get him. Do you think it will work? Yeah, I, I, I read that's that's a he's someone who can coach. Like I hate I, he wasn't able to win anything at Spurs, but it was Spurs. Mourinho won won everywhere he went. Last Spurs, I don't like Mourinho, but he got trophies. Couldn't do it at Spurs. Antonio Conte is going there. Might miss out on top four, and you know has had issues there as well. It's Spurs, and I think that you know you've seen. What he's done at PSG, I think he's improved that team. I think he's had to deal with a ridiculous dressing room there. Um, and he is a good coach. And I think that Poch will improve United far more than what Ten Hag would improve United. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. It's just interesting how a few mm. months ago they all wanted Poch and now they all yeah. want... Because Gary Neville put a poll out yesterday and it was like 82% in Ten Hag's favour. And is that because they think that they're getting Ten Hag, that they're naturally kind of Maybe. gravitating that way? I don't know, but it's mad. Did you see Hopefully. they put a thing on their YouTube official channel where they did a debate yeah. about how weird is that? It's like Man United want to be a fan channel rather than the yeah. fan channel wanting to be Man United. It's weird. I can't get my head around that. Really strange. That would never happen at Arsenal. They'd never allow it. Oh, not in a million years. Not at all. Not at all. Okay, we are going to leave it there. Uh, we've been going for the best part of an hour. Uh, Tom, thank you so much, as always, mate. Just remind people again where they can find your channel and how they can keep up to date with your great work. Yeah, thanks, mate. Great chat, as always. Um, if you want to see the next episodes of the Canton Simu show, you'll be able to see it next week on the Guna Talk. Uh, so just type in the Guna Talk on YouTube. It'll come up or go to us on Twitter at the Guna Talk TV. Uh, and yeah, check us out with more stuff at the Arsenal Way as well. Brilliant. We'll be back very, very soon with more Arsenal-related content. Enjoy uh, what remains of the international break. Enjoy the playoffs if you're going to be watching them tonight. And uh, we'll all catch up with you guys very, very soon. Until next time, goodbye. You're listening to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.